Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Would you take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 37? I hope you brought your Bibles. How many brought your Bibles? You got some Bibles here? Good, good. Bring your Bibles on Sunday morning. I encourage you to do that. I know you have devices. You can find it in your devices. I want you to mark them up. I want you to take some notes in your Bibles, uh, underline some things. I was doing that again this morning in my Bible, just taking some notes and underlining things as I was just between, I came to the church and just before going and having pre-service prayer. I think it's important. So I encourage you to take your Bibles. We're going to go to Ezekiel 37. And the story of Ezekiel 37 is a story I'm sure is not lost on anyone here this morning. I know you've been sitting for a few minutes. Would you just stand? Can we stand? Would we read the word this morning? Ezekiel 37. We're going to read starting at verse 1. And again, if you have your Bibles, I know it's going to go up before you, but uh, I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, just look to your Bibles as you read. We're going to read the first 14 verses. Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was on me. This is Ezekiel, the prophet. The hand of the Lord was on me. He's about to have a, he's going to share a vision. He brought me out by the Spirit in the vision and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, Can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach Tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know, I am the Lord. Verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked. Tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in any of them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, to the spirit. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breathe from the four winds. Breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. We are cut off. Can I see that again? Our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. And we are cut off. Therefore, Ezekiel, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my People, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, 
will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. Last verse, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. I want to take you to one more verse. If you just grab your Bibles, go to Joel chapter 1. This is actually our text, verse 14. Joel 1, another minor prophet, verse 14. Joel 1, 14. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out. To the Lord. So, Father, show us what you're saying this morning. Breathe your spirit into our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. And if that's your prayer as well, would you say amen? amen. Be seated. Ezekiel was whisked away in the spirit to a bluff overlooking a valley of dry bones. He was not just taken to a valley of dry bones. If you look at the passage, it says here that he brought me by the Spirit and set me in the middle of the valley, in the middle, full of bones. Ezekiel was placed in the vision where there was absolutely no life around him. He was the only living thing there. He was surrounded with death, 360 death. A valley full of bones, death. And then God says, I want you to move. He says, follow me, follow me. So the Spirit of God began to leave him, and Ezekiel began to follow, and he walked among the bones. I picture it, stepping around. You don't want to step on them, right? Stepping around as he went from one side to the other of the valley. God just didn't want him to see it. He wanted him to feel it. Walk from one end to the other. Uh, you know, I, we've all seen TV. We've seen more death than anybody should ever see through, you know, special effects. I think we've become accustomed to it in some ways, which is sad. I know I was gripped when I saw those pictures again at the National Post because I was thinking, this is not mock pictures. These are not people pretending. These are real people. These are real people. Violently knocked down. I don't see that very often. I don't see that. And it really, um, it was hard. I had to slow myself down and look. Don't turn away. Look. It was a picture. And I'm, again, I don't want to make this a story about Israel today. It was a picture, though, of Ezekiel in the middle of this valley. And God put him in the midst and he walked back and forth among them. I saw many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. And God then asks, after that, he asked the question. Son of man, can these bones live? Big question. In any natural sense, the answer is absolutely no. Don't be silly. The answer is no. One commentator, it was kind of funny, kind of tongue-in-cheek, the commentator said, um, he wondered if Ezekiel thought, oh, man, there's a trick question. Can these, I wonder if these are the bones of all the prophets who answered the question wrong. I don't think that was the case. The question was, very simply, Ezekiel, 
can these bones live? Now, outside of the most incredible miracle ever, the answer would be no. The bones are dead. There's no hope anymore. When you think about that dry valley, think about that, these bones, these bones. He talks about they came together as a vast army, but it doesn't say that they were a vast army that died. It says they were just a valley of dead bones. So it doesn't say it was a slaughter. It says it's just a valley of dead bones. They would later become an army, but it's a valley of dead bones. And these are men, women, children who have no future anymore. Whatever was in front of them has been cut down. Is that safe to say? They're dead. They can't procreate anymore. They won't see their children, their children's children. They won't see a fourth generation. They won't get up and have one more meal. They don't get to go home for lunch. They don't get to celebrate coming Christmas of 2023. They don't get whatever's ahead that we get to enjoy and take for granted. They don't have that. They're dead. They're dead. All of them are dead. So there's no inheritance. There's nothing in their future. Their future is over. Zilch. There's no future. He needed to get the gravity of that into his spirit. The future's over. And so as he moved among them, and then the question, can they live? Is there any future for these? And the answer would be no. No. But Ezekiel was having this communication with God, and so he knew better. And his answer was, sovereign Lord, only you know. Good, good answer. Good answer. Sovereign Lord, this makes no natural sense. There's no future. Future's been stopped for every one of these. But you're saying, can there be a future to these? And I'm saying, God, only you know. And God was not taken back by that. God was not angry with that answer. It seemed to be that God was pleased with that answer. Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then, after that answer, you, did you know their partic Ezekiel's participation in this? It wasn't just God telling him what's going to happen. Ezekiel was participating in this. Then the word says, Ezekiel, I need you to do something if this is to happen. You need to prophesy. Now, we often think of prophecy as, woo, spooky. You know, these people just get into a trance and something comes out. Prophecy simply means speak what God has spoken. True? Speak what God has spoken. The entire scripture is prophecy. Speak what God has spoken. Ezekiel, speak what, God, speak what I'm about to tell you. I need you, son of man, to speak into this now, this valley. Speak what I am about to tell you. Prophesy to the dead bones. Hear the word of the Lord. <laughs> this is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you. You will come back to what? Life. Everybody say life. I like life. The alternative isn't very good. Okay? Life, death, hmm? I, I choose life. So he says, he says, speak to these and you will come to, not death, you will not stay dead. You will not lose your inheritance. You will come to life. You will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin, put breath in you. I will, I will, I will. God, you alone, no natural thing can do this. Then you will know, I am the Lord. Uh, so Ezekiel did, this is where the great miracle happens. He did what the Lord told him to do. What would happen if Ezekiel said, not me? 
What would happen if Ezekiel says, I don't believe? What would happen if Ezekiel says, I'm a little too busy for it right now? What would happen if Ezekiel says, uh, God, I am, I'm too discouraged. I don't have anything left in my tank. You know, there's something about we need to encourage ourselves in the Lord instead of waiting to always be encouraged. God was speaking to Ezekiel. He wasn't speaking to the king at the time. He was speaking to this man, son of man. You, I'm talking to you. You, speak to it. You see, speak to it. And he says to do all these things. Verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, as I began to declare God's word, oh, I like this. As I began to do it, rattling began to take place. Now he began to see. Prior to that, he saw nothing other than death everywhere. And the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord says there's life on the other side of this. And as I prophesied, as I began to do it, as I prophesied, rattling. Oh, now his ears, his senses are now picking it up. His eyes are seeing things. He's beginning to see the hand of God work. I looked, I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared. Why so much detail? Because he had to step out before he could see it. He had to step out before he could see it. He spoke the word, and then he saw. He didn't see, then began to speak the word. Are you tracking with us? Faith requires you don't see it. You take God's word as a word. And you partner with him, and you begin to do it. Begin to believe it. Not based on what you see, based on what he said. And so now he begins to hear, see, I looked Tendons, flesh appeared on skin, covered them. That would have been incredible. Kind of freaky, actually. Then he said to me, this is going on. Prophesy. Give the word. Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breathe from the floor winds. Breathe into the slain that they may live. There's the word live again. I like that word. Beats the alternative. Verse 10, so I prophesied. Prophesied, not eerie, not woo. I simply spoke the word of the Lord. I spoke what he told me to do. I prophesied. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And breath entered them. And they came to life and stood up on their feet. Whatever they were before, we don't know. But I'll tell you what they were when they got life in them. They were an army. Mm-mm-mm. They came. When you've been dead and you are resurrected, you become an army because you're not the same. When you have tasted death and then you've come to life, life is not about you anymore. You know, an army doesn't live for themselves. An army lives for their commander. I just finished reading a book. It's called The Navy Seals. Picked it up, a Christian guy by the name of Chad Williams. Navy Seals is a, uh, a thing in the U.S. where you go through this training Navy SEALs is the highest level of training, and part of that Navy SEALs is what they call Hell Week. It's a week that they call Hell. It's one of the most rigorous programs. They say after, if you can complete the week of Hell Week, it'll take five years off your life. Many times, parts of their body don't function, don't refunction because of what they have to go through. It was, it was quite something. It was detailed, the, the Navy SEAL, as he went through Hell Week and, and went through the whole thing. 127 made it to the point of Hell Week. That's after months of training. Then you come to Hell Week, and in a, basically an entire week, you will get a total of about five hours sleep over a week. And that five hours, you're not just chilling out. And that, like, I mean, it, 
all the time you are running, you're in the ocean, you're deep diving, you're doing all this stuff, you, your, your body is broken, um, your will is broken, everything is broken. 127 entered into, in his class, 127 entered into Hell Week, all of them strong men. And 13 made it to the end. 13 made it to the end. They just break you and get you out of there. Uh, and, it's, and, and he said the only, only way he could survive, he said if he had even one fleck of doubt that he wasn't to be there, he would have left. The only way he could convince himself to stay, he convinced himself he was a prisoner and he couldn't leave. And so when they said you could leave, because they, they tried to get you to leave, they tried to get you to leave, they tried to get you to bow out, because this is training you to go into the most difficult situations in the world. You are the elite force. And you have to not be living for any part of you anymore. You have to be living beyond you. Totally. 100%. And the only way he said he made it to the end of Hell Week is he considered himself a prisoner. And when they said you can leave, he convinced himself, I can't leave. I'm in it. And I will do this until I die. And he made it to the end of Hell, hell Week. And, and so here's this army that comes. They're an army now, but they weren't before. But when they come to life, it says a vast army. I, I, really interesting. I don't want us to miss that part. A vast army, verse 11. He says, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. These are my people. Our bones are, they said, they say. This is what the people are saying. Our bones are dry. Our hope is gone. We are cut off. My heart breaks for that. Been there and done it. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. We are cut off. I want to say, there are those here this morning who are believing that. Let me read it again. Your bones are dried up. Your hope is gone. We are cut off. We had worship this morning. But your bones are dried up. Your hope is gone. And you are cut off. You couldn't get into it. Because your bones are dry. Your hope is gone. And you've been cut off. That's why. He says, now I want you to prophesy. Third prophet, I want you to speak what I've got you to say. Speak to them. This is what the sovereign Lord says. My people. Oh, I love it when he talks to us like that. My people. I am going to open your graves, praise God, and bring you up from them. Now, you would have thought they already did. Weren't they standing before him? A vast army. But they weren't done. I'm going to bring you up from your graves and bring you, verse 14, I will, I like this, I will put my spirit in you and you will, here the third time, live, live. You will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know, I am the Lord, I have spoken, I have done it. It wasn't you, you couldn't get up on your own. No man could do it. I have done it, declares the Lord. Oh, what a great story. Whoa. I like it. I just wanted to take the time to walk you through it. The, the heart of this was Ezekiel had to obey. It involved Ezekiel. Church, I believe God is calling us to prophesy again. There's a word of the Lord to rise up and live. The graves have been holding for too long. We have been living cut off and dried up. We've been living with death and hopelessness. You can testify. You don't have to wag your head. It's just, you know it. You know it. You know it. I know it as a church. Living with remnant. Living with crumbs. Living with putting up with stuff. And then I begin to read Ephesians chapter 1 and 
what God is, what kind of God he is in Ephesians 1. I go, God, I'm seeing a discrepancy. I'm looking as I walk through a valley and I'm seeing death and hopelessness. And yet I read your word for what you have spoken and they don't match. Lord, am I content to just keep walking through it? Or is there a word of the Lord in the midst of our valley? Are you calling us to rise? Are you calling us to awaken? I read Ephesians chapter 3, same thing. It just keeps coming, just keeps coming. I've been studying for the last few months in the minor prophets over and over and over again. Haggai, just finish. You know, you put in your pocket and it falls out because you got holes in your pocket. No, you hate them when you get holes in your pocket. You put pocket change in, man, you lose it. Your keys disappear and they're down, stuck in the hem of your trousers. Or, or it says you put on coats, but you're still cold. It says you drink, but you're still thirsty. You can't get enough. I, I, there's not, it doesn't satisfy. You eat, but you can't, you can't get a full stomach anymore. It says there's something stealing everything that goes in. It's just robbing you over and over and over. I call it the enemy sitting at your table and eating your food. And you walk away hungry. And there comes a point where you say, you don't belong at my table. You don't belong here. I'm not putting a chair out for you anymore. This stops. I believe the prophecy the title of my message today, and we're switching. I, if you've already kind of picked up on this, I'm not carrying on just right now with the crown series. Just this past week, it just felt the Lord just asked us, just to, we, later, come back. We need to talk about, and, the, and, and, I, and here was the word that came on Tuesday to me. We need to call forth the Lazarus generation. Call forth the Lazarus generation. This was so confirmed in my heart this past 24 hours, when Lori and I saw the pictures, we were at a change conference and at the Queensway Church, and about 1,000 youth, and they were um, uh, going through worship and sitting through sessions, and it was powerful. It exceeded my expectations. It really did. Uh, there was, we just saw God, there was an altar call last night, an altar call, and he said for the youth, again, about 1,000 kids, he, he, he called it... Uh, and he said, I want you to run up if you need Jesus. I want you to, if you're not saved, if you're lost, I want you to run. And, and it was so cool to watch this. We were about, the, we, uh, no, we were probably about 12 rows back. And we saw this, this running of kids. You know, it's really cool to hear the pounding of kids' feet going to the front of a church, isn't it? woo -hoo! And they ran, just a mass of kids. There's probably, I'm going to guess, maybe two to 300 kids at the front. Now, that doesn't move you to the heart. Oh, nothing will. And it's just like, oh. And, and the prayer and, and ministry. And then he moved into something else, and he said, he said, some of you have been fighting not wanting to live for another day. You've been fighting suicide, those thoughts. You don't feel your life has any value. You just want it to stop. And if that's you, he called. And there was about another hundred went up. Counting other, not counting those who are already there, who said, mm, that's me too. And then he stopped and he, he, he said, I'm going to give another 30 seconds because he said, there's still more. There's still more. I mean, he was mining it. He was doing what an evangelist does. Go after every single lost one. You love it. You love it. And so he did. He says, there's still more. And he says, there's, there's, you didn't come up. Because you're so broken, you can't even get out of your seat to get to the front. You're so broken. And he called them for And there's about another 50 or so. I don't know. I didn't count. But, you know, a whole pile came forward. And, I was, and, and it stirred my heart, not simply the call, but the whole weekend. 
that there is, there is a rising up. And I'm not talking a Lazarus generation of a young generation. It's young and it's old. Any who have died, where the enemy is stealing your inheritance, and there's no future, like the dead bones in the valley. There's no future, unless you speak the word of God to it in faith, and you stand and you contend for the life to come back in where it's absolutely impossible, because there's death all around you. But you're saying, enough's enough. I'm going to speak to these. Why? Why am I going to speak? Because the sovereign Lord has asked me to. The key in this whole story of, of Ezekiel 37 was obedient. If Ezekiel didn't obey, none of this happens. It required obedience. Somebody had to do it. Somebody had to do it. And, and I want to take you to John chapter 11, verse 43. If you can go there in your Bibles, John eleven forty-three. Jesus is another story. This is the New Testament equivalent it's a story where Lazarus had been dead. He had been dead into the fourth day. That means he had been clinically declared dead. No hope of resurrection. I mean, even after days, you're clinically dead. But even after an hour, you're clinically dead. But no, this is after, this is fourth day into it. He's, he's smelling death. He stinks. He's decomposing. And in that fourth day, after three full days, Jesus is there. John chapter 11. Jesus calls out. There's death all over. Jesus calls out. Now, Jesus didn't have to prophesy thus the word of the Lord because Jesus is the living word. All Jesus has to say is whatever he has to say. It's going to happen. So now the living word speaks. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Come out. Verse 44, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, a cloth around his face. And Jesus says, take off the grave clothes. You notice in the story of Ezekiel, there was progression. There was still a progression here. Jesus didn't free him of the grave clothes. Take off his grave clothes and let him go. And God is calling a generation with zeal, men, women, young and old. A generation. This is not a young generation. It's a generation, young and old. He's calling a generation. I'm going to call a Lazarus generation. It's a generation of coming forth in your graves in the place of death, in the place where you don't see hope, where you feel cut off like they did in Ezekiel, but a generation that says, enough, I'm calling the word, I'm speaking the word, I'm prophesying God's word into death. you got some death going on. I know there's death going on. We see it as a church right here. Death going on. It's happening. It's happening. And I think the word of the Lord is saying, are you going to prophesy? Are you going to speak into it or not? Not everybody will, by the way. I know that. Some will just move on. Not do it. But is that you? Is that me? The Lazarus generation. You know, Lazarus generation, we need an army of those who are consumed with passion, instrumental in seeing the dead rise spiritually. You know, they are presently those whom the enemy has in bondage and darkness, but when they are set free, they will do havoc to hell. They will become an army for the Lord. They will not just be, they will be the Navy SEALs of God. <laughs> they will be a zealous people. They will know the power. They will know the grace. They will know what it is to be set free because they were lost and set free. They were dead but now are alive. They know it. They know it. They know it. The world can't knock it out of them because they know it. They were there and now they're here. Wow. What do you think somebody who gets cured of an incurable disease 
Never, never underestimate the power of what God's touch will do when he sets you on fire. You don't go back to the old anymore. Life's trivial things no longer have a hold on you. You don't spend your day looking at device. You don't spend your evenings longing to sit in front of the screen. You don't long for simply a sports team to take the next series. That no longer stirs your heart deeply. When you've been set on fire, those things don't matter much. You following me? But when they do matter much, I'm going to suggest we might be in a valley where life has been taken from us. And so... God is raising up a generation. Don't judge them by their appearance. You know, when Lazarus came up from the grave and he walked out with, <laughs> wrapped up, he looked pretty ugly, right? They don't look good at first. They just get raised. They look pretty ugly at first. Jesus says, let's, let's take those strips of, law, of clothing off and free them. This is a new generation. I want to show you something else. Go with me, please, to 1 Samuel. We'll close as we get here. 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel 30. I want you to go to this text right here. 1 Samuel chapter 30, and it's another text here that I, uh, significant. Uh, it tells the story of King David. We've been talking to King David. David and his men were fighting some skirmishes. And while they were gone, the enemy came in in this story. Let me just bring you up to speed here. The enemy came in and ran off with their wives, children, and families, young and old. So while David and his men were gone, the enemy came into their camp and stole, I'm going to say it, stole their inheritance. They stole their women and children. Their future's dead. Kind of like the Valley of Dead Bones. I, just, I never saw it before until I was reading it just a few days ago. And his men and David were deeply disturbed. We picked this up. If you read, if you got it there, 1 Samuel chapter 30, and it says in verse 2, took captive the women Everyone else, both young and old, they killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziglad, they found it destroyed by fire, their wives and sons and daughters. In other words, their inheritance is gone. Their hope is gone. So David and his men wept aloud. What are the chances of getting them back alive? Really? None. They wept until they had no more strength. There's anguish of soul. David's wives captured. And on and on. Verse 6. David was greatly distressed because the men were... I mean, not only David's broken, but the men want to kill him. <laughs> You're the leader. You're responsible for this. They wanted to kill David. I mean, nothing like grief than being told you're the reason behind everybody else's grief. Each one was bitter in spirit because of their sons and daughters. There's no hope. Note what happens here. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Can everybody say that together? But David found strength in the Lord his God. You've you got to get that place. This is where we are this morning. God, give us strength in the presence right here. In the, strength, in the, in the midst of the valley. God, we need strength right now. We need strength. Then David said to Abathar, the priest, son of Abimelech, bring me the ephod. And then he inquired of the Lord, verse 8, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? The answer from God was, pursue them. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in their rescue. So David went off to pursue them. The problem was, he didn't know where they were. He doesn't know where they are. They took off, he doesn't know where to go. He has no direction. He has no inclination where to go. God simply says, go after them. 
Easier said than done. Where are they? I don't know where they went. So he strikes out. 600 of them. Off they go. They take off. And here's how the story is. This is such a cool story. Verse 11. So while they're running, there's 400 in the pursuit, 200 stay back. Verse 11. They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat, part of a cake and pressed figs and two cakes of raisin. He ate and was revived, for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. Verse 13. David asked him, who do you belong to? Where do you come from? He said, I am an Egyptian and a slave of the Malachite. Whoa. Now, we just stop here for a second. Amalekite, that was the group of people that took their wives and children. That was that satanic group that came in. And he says, I was, uh, let me just read that again. Um, Verse uh, 13, a slave to the Amalekites. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev and the Carathines, territory belonging to Judah. Our Carathites, the territory belonging to Judah, the Negev of Caleb. We burned at Ziglag. David asked him, can you lead me down to this raiding raiding party? He answered, swear to me before God, you will not kill me. Or, note this part, or hand me over to my master. Don't send me back. Don't send me back. And I'll take you to them. And so the story continues on. He now knew where to go. I want you to follow the story. Here they are. David encouraged himself in the Lord. God says, go after them. Go after them. Don't know where they went, but off they go. And as they go, they come across, coincidence, they come across this guy almost dead in the desert. The men bring him to David, and David does the right thing. David feeds him, gives him drink. It takes time. Did you see how long it took? Talked about all the things they gave him. This guy was hungry. And if you've been a while not eating, you start eating, it all bunches up right here. Right, everything's contracted. Have you ever done that? You've gone, you know, you've been sick for a while. Then you start, whoa, and you, you're hungry, and you wolf it down, and it gets stuck right there because your body's not used to anything dropping down. And, okay. and so this takes a while to get the food into him. This is not like a few minutes, and he scarfs it, and now you can have a chat with them. This takes time. And while this is taking time, don't mistake, David's men are upset because they're trying to find the enemy, and every passing minute they're getting farther from you. But David stops and he helps this one. It looks innocent, doesn't it? Looks like, who's, who's this guy? David, come on, get going. They're out there somewhere. Let's, get, let's figure out where they are. We'll look for the hoof prints of their horses and off we'll go. But David stops and he nourishes this guy who nobody knows. He's a nobody to them. But David, here's the point. He does the right thing. There's somebody in need right there and David does the right thing. You know, sometimes we're looking for the big, and there's a simple little thing right before us. And that simple person before us that seems totally disconnected from the real problem, God's waiting to see what you're going to do with this. And David nourishes him back to hell and then asks him, who are you? Well, I'm an Egyptian, but I'm a slave of the Amalekites. And he tells the story. And David says, do you know where they went? We don't know where they went. God didn't reveal it. But God's about to reveal it. Why is God about to reveal it? Because David stopped for him. That was a test. He stopped. And he says, just don't send me back to the master. You know, people who have been bound by Satan, we can't let them go back. 
We can't let them go back because the master will kill them. We can't let them go back. This guy was the peace David was waiting for. He says, I'll show you. And if you continue reading the story, I'm not going to take the time. You continue reading the story. He went in. Oh, what a victory they had. But do you see the story? Do you see the story? I believe God is calling us, and this is the point of what we're talking about today. The call today is he is calling us to the place where we would, Joel 1.14, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord, your God, and cry out, and cry out. And when you do, when you do, you will see the hand of God. When you do, fire will come. You know there's components of fire. Fire purifies. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, it says, You are rich. You've acquired wealth. You don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You think you got everything. I think that kind of speaks to all of us here. Right? We live in a nation that if we haven't done this, it's because we don't think we have to. Because it doesn't stir us deeply. You think you're doing okay? That's the comment in Revelation 3.17. You think you're okay. You've got stuff. You think it's about, you think it's about stuff. You think you, things are okay. But actually it's not. Then verse 18 he says, I counsel you. I counsel you. Buy gold from the fire. So you can become rich. White clothes to wear. Not just any clothes. You can cover your shamefulness with your shameful nakedness. You can put salve on your eyes. Now you will see. So you can see. There's the greatest danger here is that we can be in the midst of moral disaster and not even know we're in the midst of moral disaster. We're in the middle of it. You know, the devil's knees buckle at the very thought of you and I surrendering to this purifying work of fresh fire. Devil does not want you to hear this. He does not like when you get on fire for God. You know, fire illuminates. It carries light. Elijah, when, or Elisha, when he was, they were facing insurmountable odds, 10,000 people about to slaughter them. And his, he had a person he was mentoring right beside him, and the person was, knees were knocking together. And the person says, there's no way we can win this. And Elisha looked up and said, God, would you just open their eyes for a moment? And God opened their eyes, and it says he saw the innumerable fiery chariots poised to stop any threat. For one moment, this friend, eyes got open and he saw a realm that you and I don't get to see unless the Spirit of God shows us. He saw them all around. He says he couldn't count them. Now, who's got the advantage? I like that song. You may think that you're surrounded, but you're surrounded by God. You may think that there's the art, the, it's impossible. No, 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 no. God, open our eyes. Open our eyes. There's more for us than against us. It illuminates. May your eyes be opened when he consecrates you in the fast. Number three, fuel. Fire fuels us. It changes us. It gives us power. The Bible says that the same spirit which raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. It will quicken your mortal body. Fresh fire imparts energy to do God's full will. And fire's hot. It refines. So I come back. I close with this, this scripture here. We talk about Joel 1.14. This is our text. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to God. A few days ago, Lori and I were praying and it was just over and over. It just kept gripping my heart. There's a withholding. There's a withholding in our midst. 
And God says the only way you can break that, Jesus, would come off the Mount of Transfiguration and say, some things come only by fasting and prayer. And so in the midst of the withholding, you need to go into fasting and prayer. Go into that place. You know, some people say, fasting, I hate fasting. What is fasting? That's, that's wrong. Uh, you know, if you see fasting as punishment by God, it's like, you know, God is cruel to make you fast, to not eat in order just to pray. Oh, I can't do that. But I want to suggest fasting is a glorious provision of God that enables the desperate soul to find a tangible way to express the great longings of the heart. Hmm. Can I say that one more time? It's a glorious provision of God that enables a desperate soul to find a tangible way to express the great longings of the heart. Could there be any more aggressive way to seek God than to fast and pray? Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Fasting gives you an appetite for the food of heaven. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to the disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. You can't. There's no shortcut. There's not a better way. Deny your appetites. Unless, of course, your appetites run your life. Ooh. Don't deny it. Don't go to fasting if, unless the appetites are more important. The appetites of this world, I want them. There's nothing you do or say will cause me to not want them unless that takes place. You know, the early church fasted. 400 years after Jesus rose from the death, the early church fasted twice a week. Everywhere. We've kind of lost that discipline, haven't we? Epiphanius, writer of perhaps the first Christian encyclopedia, said this, Who among Christians don't fast the fourth and sixth days of the week? In the early days, at least twice a week, the church fasted. It's just expected you to. The great leaders of the Reformation that restored spirituality and purity to the church fasted regularly. Martin Luther fasted one day a week, every day week, one day. Martin Luther fasted. We wonder how they got the results. Well, yeah, here we go. And that was on top of his spending two to three hours of prayer every day with the Lord. Charles Finney, whenever he sensed the work of God slowing down, he would spend another two or, another two or three days in fasting until the power was renewed. When you feel it going, he got a hold of God until it came back. Uh, Andrew Murray, great revivalist, said, Prayer is the one hand with which we grasp the invisible, fasting the other with which we let loose and cast the invisible. Satan does not want me to fast and pray. He does not want you to fast and pray. He did not want Jesus to fast and pray. He did everything to stop it. He will tempt you with food. He will tempt you with luxuries. He will tempt you with affluence. To forget your commitment to fast, just don't do it, is his motto. So why be surprised when we don't want to? Why be surprised when we start and we quit? He fears tremendously lest your prayers be empowered by fasting and prayer. So I come back to that scripture. And this is the call. This is a simple call. Joel 1.14, consecrate a fast. Joel says, call, call a sacred assembly. Gather the elders, all the inhabitants of the land into your house and cry out to the Lord your God. We're going to do that. I just really feel we're called to do that. I feel that the enemy's been stealing. You're ready to do that kind of stuff. Uh, you don't have to, sometimes we just have to warm up to it. But if there's a stirring in your heart, 
I'm going to call you to, to the place of fasting. Second Chronicles 7.14, one of the most famous Old Testament scriptures. Because if my people who are called by my name, God says, will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then you will hear from heaven. I will forgive them, and I will heal their land. He wants to. But he says, you need to speak the word into it. You need to speak the word into the valley of death. Wherever there is hopelessness, wherever there's death, whatever's been stolen, that area where there has, there has been the withholding. And you're not seeing victory. We see it in our church. We see it at Cornerstone. We rejoice with the children that are in our children's ministry. But come on, let's open our eyes. There's a multitude that aren't there. There's a multitude not there. Lost. I rejoice with our youth. I'm learning to love them. Not that I didn't love them before, but when you get to know them, you really start to love them. Spend some time with them. I'm really loving these guys. But I'm thinking of all their friends. I'm thinking of all their classmates. I'm thinking of the kids I drive by every morning when I drive by the school just around the corner. Those kids need the Lord. You know, we, we, we can't just drive by. Just need to stir our heart. This isn't enough. This isn't it. This is not the end game. We give up. We quit. We look for a great flash in the pan. There's my expression again. We look for a great moment again. You know, it's not enough to go back and say, we need to do that again. No, it's, you know, David, when he sought to find the women and children, he couldn't use his old tactics. God had something new. God had something very different. And we need, we believe in that. A Lazarus generation is a generation that hasn't yet, you haven't seen it yet. But it's the men and women, old and young, that will rise up. So we're going to do that. I'm going to call you to that. I just really feel that this is timely. If you feel a stir in your heart, I'm going to invite you in a moment to just pray. I'm going to invite Daniel to come back to the platform. He's just going to, to play a little bit. And, and, and I know the morning's moved on, but sometimes things are just like, you know, it stirs you to the heart. And this is one. It just stirs to the heart. Oh, God, there's a valley of death that needs, we need life. And I'm not prepared just to, to watch it anymore. It's time that they rise up and to begin to speak the word into it. So I am calling the church. I'm calling the staff. I'm calling the elders of our church. I'm calling the people of our church to enter into Joel 1.14. Call an assembly. Gather together. Fast and pray over not only your situation, but over the situation around you where there's death and hopelessness and where it's died and it's fallen from your heart. He says, can these bones live? And the right answer is, God, you know. And he says, now I want you to speak into it. You begin to call the word into that situation. Go to Ephesians 1. Go to Ephesians 3. Go to the scriptures. Go to the text that we've been talking about, the text we've talked about today, and begin to speak God's word back into that situation. God, I, I declare your word. You bring life, not death. And it might seem like it's bygone, but no, 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 no. Nothing's bygone by God. Begin to speak into it. Speak into it. Speak into it. Speak into it. Believe and stay with it. Not just for a moment. Stay with it until there's full breakthrough. Until there's absolute breakthrough. If you uh, need to know about fasting and prayer, there's a QR code. I invite uh, Juan to put up that. There it is, QR code. And, and these are guidelines for fasting prayer. If you've not done it, just click on the QR code. I've also put together, basically what's on the QR code is in hard, if you don't know how to do this, 
There's a hard copy for you. For those of us who don't know how to do that. And I put a hard copy at the Info Center. You can pick up a hard copy of guidelines, fasting, and prayer. Uh, you can pick it up. But you can get it on your QR code. I just put it together because sometimes I don't want that to be a hindrance. I don't know what to do. Well, then now you do to fast and pray. We're going to actually the next two Saturday nights from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock. So this coming Saturday and the coming Saturday following that, we've commissioned at least two Saturday nights. We welcome you to come to the church. I'm calling my staff. I'm calling my elders. I'm calling the church. Come. And we're going to seek the face of the Lord together. We're going to call on his name. God, the bones will live again. We call a sacred assembly to see what you want to do in our hour. I just really believe this is timely. I believe this is of the Lord. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.